Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Women Blazers. I'm your host, Deanna Witter. Now, I'm excited to welcome Kalia Collier as our featured guest for this episode. Kalia serves as the Vice President and Chief of Staff for Basketball Operations for the Dallas Mavericks. Kalia shares her incredible career journey with us. She started playing basketball at the age of five, which sparked her love for the game and set her on a path to take what she learned on the court and apply it to her life. After becoming an owner of a professional women's team at the age of 23, she dedicated her career to serving the community she loves, growing the game, and expanding her impact. You know, it's it's always true that we stand on the shoulders of giants. And so when you think about those who have paved the way for myself, for yourself, uh, and for all of the incredible women who are currently in leadership positions now, it's been building for decades upon decades. Um, and so when you talk about you can't be what you can't see, the representation that we're, we're seeing right now just across the sports industry is incredible. Hi, Clea. Take us back to the beginning. You know, obviously basketball has played a big part in your life. So where does your love for the game root from? Oh, the love for the game. The love for the game started for me at five years old. Mm -hmm. Uh, My dad was my first basketball coach. And I remember being in this co-ed league in the YMCA and absolutely dominating. And I was like, I think I'm on to something. (laughs) Um, And uh, fast forward uh, through middle school, high school, uh, the absolute game plan was to play in college, play professional basketball. I had the opportunity of um, having a pretty good collegiate high school career. Uh, I got a full ride basketball scholarship and I was crazy injury prone. So uh, the the love for the game has never gone anywhere. <laughs> That's awesome. It's obviously the, the root of it is always interesting. Like what what sparks our, our love and interest for anything that we're passionate about. So that's awesome that you were able to, to really launch that at a, at a young age. And, and like you said too, like, you know, it drove you into your college goals and your college experience. So you launched your college career at Columbia college, you studied political science, you know, how did you make your college selection? Um, was it only based on that scholarship or did you have other opportunities? And what was your original vision that you had for the career you would have while you were in college with, with that degree? Dee, I wish I could give myself uh, more credit of I had this robust, you know, recruiting game plan and the layout of I was basing it off of, you know, majors and education. Uh, It was really superficial, actually. It was like school colors and what I play. (laughs) (laughs) I think I knew I'd get an education no matter where I went. Um, It was an expectation from a family standpoint. Um, I had the opportunity to be kind of being recruited across the board. Uh, from D1s, and I, the decision to go NAI Division One with Columbia College was a strategic one of being at a smaller school in a big city in Columbia. Mm-hmm. And um, I knew I wanted to major in political science. I ended up being a double major in political science and communications. And the goal was law school. So I felt like I at least kind of had a path forward of a little bit of the future, but was really taking it semester by semester. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And did, was the law school, was it to become an actual lawyer or an agent? Like what was sort of the vision with your law degree? I think if I really thought about it, it was to be a, an international, like study international law, be an agent, 
um, practice. I, I felt like I've, and it's, I think it still might be on the bucket list for me actually at some point. So it's never too uh, late. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's amazing. And so after you're at Columbia college, you're in this double major, you have this focus on potentially going into obviously law school as you, as you shared, um, after two years at Columbia college, you then transferred to Missouri Baptist University. So what motivated this transition and how did your time at Missouri Baptist run out your college experience? This was definitely family driven. Um, as I shared, I was a bit injury prone through college. Um, I had lost both of my grandparents um, kind of back to back. So the decision to kind of come and be closer to home for my mom and for my dad, it, it just it just made sense to me. Uh, Missouri Baptist, one of my best friends at the time was going there as well. So um, I knew it was home. Uh, what I didn't know is that I would then go from playing basketball my junior year to golf my senior year, Really, um, which gave me more time on my hands, uh, which really accelerated kind of the law school vision. That's when I started to prep for the LSAT. Um, but I was really, really grateful to, to start my career my senior year of college um, because I had that additional time. So it, it's been interesting to hear my own journey out loud because, like, man, talk about having a plan A, B, and C, and so on and so forth, um, right, riding the waves for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what you experience, so many people experience, like you have this sort of vision, and, and just having some sort of North Star puts you on a path in the right direction. And then circum things happen in your life, your personal life, as you shared, that sort of took you closer to sports-related, injury-related, and how you navigate those experiences as you share them so you know casually now I can imagine were extremely impactful you know during the, those times and how you sort of navigated life at that age and that stage of life and it you talk about grit and resilience uh, I think it just it built and built over time uh, and it helped me really kind of shape the trajectory that I wanted for myself mm-hmm. yeah I mean it's obviously a trajectory that that accelerated quickly, you know, for, for you, which is, which is incredible. <laughs> so when you, when you graduated, after you graduated, what was, what was the first job you landed at after college? First job uh, officially that I landed, I had a few in between times. So I got to backtrack just a little bit, Dee, because my, both of my parents are entrepreneurs. My mother's owned a fragrance company mm. uh, since I was a kid. So I was always uh, in an entrepreneurial household And so uh, it always resulted in me selling something. (laughs) And so (laughs) through uh, high school and college, it it really kind of shaped the transition of the job that I took my senior year of college, which I ended up officially landing um, and having the opportunity, which was uh, Asbury Automotives, which was Plaza Motors at the time, which was a family owned dealership. And uh, after I finished my college um, career was like, all right, what's next? And I ended up being promoted for the first management trainee uh, in that role. And then Lexus became my primary brand. And that was like my first big corporate job that I was like, all right, I'm, I'm really starting to, uh, to really love business. Yeah. Like you're starting to appreciate the sale and the hunt a little bit. I would imagine, and just earning money. (laughs) It is. And doing it from like a corporate paycheck style, you know, is different when you're in a kind of a small mom and pop and startup. So I I feel like I got to see it at both scales very early. Yeah, no, that's right. It it sounds like it was extremely impactful in that that regard. Um, From that experience, how did that sort of take away, help you understand like what path you wanted to take from there? You clearly didn't keep going down this 
you know, Lexus sales, you know, role, um, what was it about those experiences that helped you define like, what were you going to do next? I was really grateful for the mentorship that I received while I was there. Um, I got to learn the automotive industry inside and out. Um, my first track was actually finance. And so one of the, the fun facts, I would help all my friends buy cars because I understood the back end of the deals really well. And it shaped, um, I think, really what my passion was, but it really gave me a great business acumen that I had been learning since I was a kid um, to perfect. And so fast forward into that is what I think shaped the big decision that I made uh, in 2012. Well, 2011 was, all right, I think I'm ready for something, something different. So then 2011, at only the age of 23, you purchased the St. Louis Surge basketball team. Like, clearly one question, how? <laughs> like, how, how, how in the hell? You know, uh, like, this is, this, I, I knew that you owned the team, obviously, I think when I started to read up on your background, I was like 23. I'm like, holy crap. Like, this is remarkable. Um, maybe even more excited about this conversation. Um, <laughs> so how did you purchase a team? How did you navigate the process of becoming an owner and a leader of an organization? Uh, D, I took this crazy leap of faith. Um, I was really, really fortunate. Uh, all my best friends, we all played different sports in college. And so I felt like I had a really great just baked in um, network of helping me build and shape the team. And I, my, the running joke is the first phone call went to my best friend mm -hmm. and I said, we need a business plan. And she said, what did you do? And I said, I bought a basketball team. <laughs> um, I was really fortunate, uh, to, to be on scholarship, uh, through college. Uh, I've always been a big saver. And so to take this leap of faith on myself was something that I gambled on, uh, probably 100% not understanding what I was getting myself into. Mm -hmm. But what I did know is that I was going to give every ounce of energy possible to make it successful. Um, and I, I always say I spent hands down more time in the library um, starting the surge than I did in college mm -hmm. Uh, any day of the week. Um, I knew everything from the back end of teams that have been successful, getting benchmarks, understanding every landscape uh, across the sports market in general to where I always kind of say I'm a conservative risk taker to where I, I did my due diligence. Um, and I knew that the St. Louis surge was something I never had as a kid. Um, and this gave an opportunity to create something unique and different that wasn't just about the game itself but was about driving community impact um, and entertainment value. Yeah. No, it's, it's remarkable. It's remarkable. And I, I mean, what I'm imagining is like, you're like walking down the street and there's a for sale sign. Like how, <laughs> 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 how, 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 and like, did you know the previous owner? How did you know it was for sale or that it was even available to be sold, like to be purchased? I did. Um, one of my, my best friends at the time was actually going to be trying out for the surge. Uh, and I still had my corporate job. Uh, no doubt was working legit 60, 70 hours a week in the car industry. You work weekends. It is what it is. And uh, she was trying out for the team and she ended up making the team. Fast forward, they needed a team manager. And I was like, absolutely not. Don't have the time. Definitely ended up being the team manager. Because <laughs> uh, what I realized is I miss being around the game. Yeah. And so the previous owner at the time uh, owned a various different businesses and uh, kind of presented the opportunity of like, I just wanted to explore the, the option of what it would look like to even take something like this over. Uh, and he opted to send me midway through. And 
I went for it. So that was May of 2011. And I was like, all right, let's see what we have. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have Range Rover and Cadillac be our first sponsors. <laughs> and uh, I learned every facet of the business very, very quick. Yeah, that's remarkable. I love that story. And I, I love that, you know, this is such a big part of your foundation of where you are today. Now, you still own the team currently in your new role? I I do. Um, and I have. I've been out of the day-to-day -day of Surge for uh, the past few years. I transitioned when I took the role with St. Louis City SC, uh, the Major League Soccer team in St. Louis. And um, it was really important for me to show that I wasn't the glue uh, to the Surge because I had been the face of the team. Um, and, you know, when we talk about not just succession planning, but showing that something is sustainable and viable, mm -hmm. um, we had built an incredible front office staff. The real testament was, you know, me moving to Dallas and still having the team be successful uh, with great leadership. And I, I felt like I had done that. So 12 years in, here we are. Yeah, it sounds like you're like you can just sense the pride of of your accomplishment and the accomplishment of the team. And, you know, um, you know as, you, as you think about um, where the team was probably when you took it over to where it is today and even the league, the, the GWBA that it plays in, you know, what is, what's something like you're most proud of as you kind of look back from the, and the journey of, of those 12 years that, um, that you think about, about the team now? The surge just finished their 11th season. Uh, probably there's two big milestones, three big milestones that I'm most proud of. Um, you know, we've been fortunate enough to win two national championships, uh, which is incredible and wow. it's things that you don't take for granted um, because you think you're going to win back to backs and we've had great success of building as a dynasty um, in a very in St. Louis. Um, the community impact that we've been able to generate uh, year after year of earning every fan and growing our fan base to two to three thousand fans uh, was something that has just been a testament over time. But the biggest milestone was last season celebrating our 10th season uh, anniversary. Mm -hmm. uh, I was really, really proud to be able to get to a decade, um, set record attendance at WashU, uh, launch a major partnership with Neiman Marcus, and it, it showed the trajectory of not just the surge, but the continuous uh, support and just the value point of where we're going in women's professional sports in general. Um, and it's finally like, all right, you know all these data, you know all these points, but when you start to see it pay off, um, you're like, all right, we're, we're on to something. <laughs> right, right. Well, congratulations on celebrating your 10th anniversary season and all the milestones, all the accomplishments that you've had, um, obviously, in your seat, owning this team and everything, and everybody who obviously contributed to that as well. Obviously, it takes a team to support that vision. As you think about the future now, I mean, obviously, what, what is your vision for the future? What's your hope as, as this continues on? What's the next sort of 10, 20 years look like in, in your eyes? You know, I haven't been shy at all in terms of the, the vision for the surge of transitioning into a WNBA team um, within the next really three to five years. It's a very realistic goal. Uh, the traction that we've been able to gain in St. Louis um, the market is perfect. Uh, it's a great sports city, and I think it creates more and more opportunities. Uh, and it, it's driving what's next for the surge. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the continuous discussions, uh, the future looks really bright. Um, and then for myself, I'm still figuring that out. Dude. <laughs> uh, I, I, right now, I am ambitiously content. Uh, I'm loving my role in the Mavs. Uh, I'm loving the leadership that I work for. 
our organization, our culture. And uh, as jumping into anything new, I've been around basketball my entire life, but finishing my first season in the NBA, it's been a lot of learning and building relationships. Mm, it sounds it sounds fantastic. And I love your vision of, you know, obtaining that WNBA status. I, I have no doubt that that's on your horizon. And I look forward to being at that first game. But also, I need to get to St. Louis in general. You guys aren't very far from where I'm at now. <laughs> No, you definitely have to get to St. Louis. Nashville is right down the street. (laughs) That's right. That's right. uh, I love being the hostess with the Moses. So you you give me that opportunity. I I will take you up. I will take you up. That sounds like a great, (laughs) great time. Now, um, you you already mentioned, you know, that you've made this transition. You're with the Mavericks now. You're one season in. But before you joined the Mavericks um, in 2020, you, you sort of touched on a little bit. You joined St. Louis City SC as their vice president of community relations. So while, you know, obviously owning and, and running and operating the surge, um, what inspired you to take this opportunity and share with us a little bit how you navigated into this new position and, and sort of the dual role that you had to play? St. Louis City SC has really been transformational for the city of St. Louis. Um, and so as much as I love basketball, I equally love soccer. Uh, Soccer is my first sport as a kid. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about uh, a global sport that really unites the community, I think it has so much potential. And you're watching that continuously happen um, across the country. And then you're watching the world now look into the U.S. of, hey, the the talent pipeline, the kids that are getting access to it. And so uh, I knew what the family wanted to accomplish. And that was something to where I knew I didn't want to be in sponsorship or operations. I felt like... um, starting as a and building as a community-led club uh, spoke to me and my value point. And it's something that I did naturally with the surge uh, of being able to build a community within, make it incredibly diverse, um, and really be able to showcase that it. it's, it's always bigger than the sport. And so that was the, the starting point of the conversation um, with having a family that has been dedicated to the community to use the power of sport for good. Yeah, yeah. And so... I mean- being a part of two startups in parallel universes that look very different, <laughs> that uh, that was really unique because you, you get to just see it at a different scale. I mean, St. Louis City SC built a district uh, and being a part of a, that from the very beginning when it was just a hole in the ground and seeing it through fruition uh, was pretty special. Yeah, it sounds remarkable. I mean, and to your point, to be a part of something so significant, so impactful, and obviously the city that you love and you're committed to is, is remarkable. And I imagine it was extremely rewarding. Um, I had the pleasure of having Carolyn Kendall Betts on the, the podcast. So she was in season three, episode nine of that season. And she talked very much about the community and the community impact and what her and her, her family um, were, you know, their vision, you know, for St. Louis. And it's, it's been remarkable to see them launch this season and seeing the success that they've had on and off the pitch. It has. I have so much respect and uh, admiration for Carolyn. We spent a tremendous amount of time together. Uh, so it was not easy making the decision to come to Dallas. Um, I, I really, you know, you work, you know, two years plus uh, to get to inaugural season. That that was definitely the, the goal, but this was an opportunity I couldn't turn down. Um, but to see that there's now a downtown West District that you have, you know, training headquarters, and, you know, a brand new stadium all in the, the heart of the city. 
um, it's nothing else like it across the country. No, no, there's not. And like you said, it, you know, it's clearly a, a an opportunity and a position and a role that in which you valued significantly. So it would take something obviously really big and something you couldn't turn down to, to really pull you away from that experience. It sounds like. And it was D I'm St. Louis through and through. <laughs> like, I went to college in St. Louis. I've been in St. Louis my entire career. Uh, so people were like, what you're moving to Dallas. <laughs> You're like, I got to go, I got to go spread my wings. You know what I mean? Like, you know, uh, and, and what's nice is, you know, even though you're in Dallas now, again, because you're still, you know, over the ownership of St. Louis Surge, like you're still, you're still very much committed to your, to your home city and, and that hundred percent. Yeah. So that's uh, I'm cool. still on several boards. Home is home. Uh, I will always uh, be committed to the community of St. Louis um, and we'll always make sure we're, we're driving impact in being a force of good uh, at every at every opportunity. Yes. No, I love that. I love that. And so in 2022, you know, you make this big move to, to, the, to Dallas, as, you, as we've been talking about. You joined the Dallas Mavericks as their vice president and chief of staff of basketball operations. You know, how did you then navigate into this role? Um, what did you most enjoy about the process of transitioning into the NBA, into this new market, into this very significant role as well? Uh, what's amazing about this opportunity is I've always been a Mavs fan, but I've always been a Mark Cuban fan. <laughs> and so uh, as someone who went into ownership pretty, uh, pretty young, mm -hmm. Mark was like one of the first books I read Really, uh, as really? having a, a sports owner that you could look to that's, you know, transformational. He's a disruptor um, and the best way of changing the landscape. And so I never had a bad time in Dallas, so let's start there. <laughs> and so you take uh, the ownership and the leadership of who the Mavs have been, and then you add that with Sint Marshall, mm -hmm. uh, the first Black woman to be a CEO of an NBA team, um, and her leadership and what she's done of setting uh, a standard of excellence of diversity um, for the most diverse franchise now in the world um, is a, a major, major deal and seeing it being representative of the community. Um, and then you add in Nico Harrison uh, with his background and Nike of just being a wealth of knowledge um, and his background and just relationships and leading. Um, I, I moved for not just the job opportunity, but it was 100% based on leadership and culture. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like you have just a massive opportunity to be a be a sponge in some way, but at the same time, like yep. be a significant contributor to that same leadership. Like you say all those names and it's like, you know, Kalia Collier is amongst that, you know, group of people, which I think I hope you embrace, you know, in that regard, because it's remarkable to have this group of people obviously led by Mark Cuban, remarkable owner, Sint Marshall, one of the most, you know, just significantly impactful leaders in, in the NBA and across our industry. Um, and you get to be a part of that. And that I can imagine it makes it really easy to wake up every morning and go to work. Oh, uh, 100%. You talk about operating in a space of gratitude. Uh, there is no day you're not busy. Uh, it is no shortage of, uh, of projects and challenges, um, but you see them as opportunities. And uh, I think it's just incredible to work with great people. Yeah. And so that is something I don't take for granted for one second. And you're 100% right. I've come here and I've learned so much. I will continuously be a sponge and add value and fill gaps wherever needed. Yeah. So you're now headed into your second season with the map. So what do you like, tell us a little bit about your day to day and like, what do you most enjoy about your work? What, what has been the most rewarding to you since you've, you've started there? 
one of the things I think I love the most is their the day to day is different every day. <laughs> uh, you know, you always hear like the cliche things of like no day is the same, but I, I swear that couldn't be any more true. Um, I think first is the people for me. Uh, I love the fact that we work with so many incredible people that are competitive, um, that have this standard and this bar of excellence of being better than they were yesterday. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that starts from the top. Um, And I love the fact that my role spans across the entire business. Um, So, you know, leading basketball ops, um, I, you know, work across facilities, security, player relations, finance, um, our culinary department that we just built out for the first time, our equipment department, our nutrition department. Um, I'm the bridge to our business office. I'm our liaison to our league office. And it it just gives me so many different opportunities uh, to be able to be a bridge, but also connect dots that may have not already uh, existed. Mm -hmm. And so it's just really, I feel like I'm in a dynamic role and I get to play to my strengths. Yeah, no, that's remarkable. And I'm so happy to hear that. And I, I look forward to continuously, you know, sort of just be in the background. I'm sure all of us that are listening that that have been following your career just to see the impact you're going to continue to make. And just, again, the the joy you get from the work that you do and the challenges as well and how that all comes together to to help you continue to to build up your your career, your profile, um, and the impact you'll have in this industry. Uh, You know, the goal is always to win a championship. (laughs) So to be able to have uh, influence and impact that off the court um, is is one of the best jobs to have because, At that point, there's so many different variables, but you know you've done everything within your control uh, to to make it as successful as possible and make as much positive impact to it. Just the collaboration, getting people to come together for a collective goal, like that. That's one of my favorite things in the world to do. Absolutely. And the maps are due, right? 2012 is that the last one? 20, yeah, you're at 2011, so we're, we're coming up on one. I'm, I'm speaking it into existence. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely, you're definitely due, for sure. Well, that's exciting. That's good. Good for Dallas, good for you, good for the Mavs. Now, in every episode, I love to sort of end the episode with um, going back on, on previous conversations and just sort of pulling themes from, from previous conversations. And so the one I want to tap in with you is representation. I mean, you are strongly representing for women and women of color in areas of our industry and in the business that are generally underrepresented ownership of a professional sports team. Um, and now, you know, in the basketball operation side as the chief of staff um, and the VP. So, I mean, this is, this is a, a, a huge you know, component of, you know, what we want to see in the world. Right. And so just curious from your perspective, like what is your reflection on representation and how important it is um, to inspire others to sort of push through the challenges that are faced throughout the journey um, in pursuing our career goals? You know, it's it's always true that we stand on the shoulders of giants. And so when you think about those who have paved the way for myself, for yourself, uh, and for all of the incredible women who are currently in leadership positions now, it's been building for decades upon decades. Um, and so when you talk about you can't be what you can't see, the representation that we're, we're seeing right now just across the sports industry is incredible. It's providing more opportunities uh, for young women that 
look like me and ourselves to say, hey, if you can do it, I can do it. And I feel like when we say those things, we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's true mm-hmm. um, because you you see other examples of what success looks like. You see different versions of shattering glass ceilings every single day. Uh, you see opportunities that didn't exist even the year before of people who weren't in these roles that look like us just the year before. Yeah. Um, so the progress is being made. Um, I think we're seeing we're seeing a new day. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like, and that's every day. That's the beauty of it. Um, and I think where we'll be in the next 10 to 20 years will continuously look different because it's a hell of a lot further than where we were 10 to 20 years ago. <laughs> That's so true. I mean, to your point, I mean, I just feel like there's been such an acceleration of change in a very good way. And obviously so many factors sort of feed into that from a societal perspective. But at the same time, it's like, you know, if you are someone who is pursuing opportunities where you're not seeing people who look like you, who come from a different background, um, you know, from the norm, let's say, or what we generally see, you know, however you want to word that, you know, um, keep going, keep pushing, you know, somebody, somebody probably needs to see you in there and it could be the start of something that really accelerates quickly, you know? Absolutely. And for those that do not have diverse leadership reflective in their organizations, they're seeing opportunities. They're seeing opportunities, not just to have Uh, their leadership team look reflective of the communities that they're in, but they're seeing opportunities from a, a true data standpoint that shows it's actually affecting your bottom line for the better. Um, And I, I always say like, it's interesting because even if you're doing good, you don't assume that you could actually do better uh, (laughs) with a more well-rounded leadership staff with different perspectives. Um, And I think what we're seeing right now is, Oh, that, that is serving to be true. Like, and we have every data point that continuously tells us how we should trend. Yeah. Yeah. There's always a business case. There's always the right thing to do case, you know, point. like there's, there's definitely data that supports that and enough research that supports, you know, the impact and the positive impact of having diverse leadership um, and representation across the board and, and look around your table, let you're in at your meetings, like, you know, there's, there's probably something missing, a voice that's missing that they could really help, you know, sort of push your organization forward. And the excellence that's represented among diverse leadership. Um, it, it speaks for itself in terms of wanting to ensure that you're paving the way for the next, yeah. uh, that you're setting an example, um, that you're coming in overly prepared. Like those things are true every single day because we've all worked so hard to understand that it, it wasn't an easy climb to get to the top. So you, you can't wait to get to the top to bring somebody else with you either. Yeah, that's so not true. a part of the game. That's so true. So true. Well, thank you for that. And that, that transitioned us to talk a little bit about lifestyle. So every episode, from the very first episode I ever published, um, I always ask a question about lifestyle. As women, you know, I, I think we generally get these questions about work-life balance. Um, and this is expectation that life has to be balanced. <laughs> and what we did in this podcast, just threw that term out. And we talk about lifestyle. Like we built a lifestyle that works for us and that, 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 that we want and that we're leading in that regard. So just curious for you, like you mentioned, like family's important to you, obviously, you know, your, your, your whole crew back in St. Louis is important to you. So how have you you sort of structured your lifestyle and manage your lifestyle so that it works for you and the people in in your life and the things you like to do maybe beyond work, if work, (laughs) unless work is like all or nothing. I'm smiling so hard right now, Dee, because I'm like, you remember when you were trying to tell me like where the do not disturb button is? Yes. Um, I'm like, what? It's 
the the idea of work life balance um, is just something to where I've always been okay with knowing that there's no perfect combination to that. There's no equation that you're going to get to that you're like, yep, made it. I can stick with this. Um, I believe in interval training, uh, personally and professionally, to where you know when you've gone hard, to where you're gonna have to, you know, coast it out a little bit. You ramp back up. There's peaks and valleys. And that's how I feel like I've been able to create my own version of balance. Uh, I'm not always the best uh, of turning off uh, and unplugging. But I will say when you work really, really hard and you know when you've reached your capacity, you have to take those times to break because the the cliche lines of you can't pay poor from an empty cup cannot be more true. Uh, no matter how many times you try to flip the cup, you know, <laughs> you're looking for more and more, you, you actually just have to, to rest and recharge. Um, so an ocean does that for me, uh, getting away, taking that vacation. Um, I'm working on a couple more hobbies for myself. It's something I've tasked myself with uh, before the end of the year that it just can't be work, work, work. Mm -hmm. um, and transitioning into a new city is, is different. you got to get acclimated. It's so much to digest in a relatively short period of time, especially you know when the season is going and then you try to get as much done in the off season. And so finding pockets. Yeah. That's something I try to just incorporate uh, as a lifestyle. And then I believe in mental fitness, uh, I, therapy. That's something that that's my, uh, my confidant in my space to where uh, as much as I find it to be important for my physical fitness to where I'm in the gym two, three times a week to just get a release and have an outlet. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. I Mental, physical, you know, finding those pockets. I mean, all of it's so important. And it sounds like you have, you, you have filled, you know, your cup up in the right way. And that's sort of works for you. Like, and, you know, somebody else listening to this was like, oh man, like I should, I should explore those things. But, you know, I, I think, um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't even know if like balance is what we're trying to achieve. It's, it's just sort of finding that center of like, core that like this works for me this is what I need to you know be happy and to be centered and to feel complete and to be able to show up for other people just as much as for myself you know in a very positive and productive way you know it is we know when we neglect ourselves and we know when we're neglecting others like I, I know I need to do a better job of calling my parents we're not in the same city <laughs> my siblings being a better friend um, those are things that never get lost upon me because you can't just be busy, busy, busy where you you shut out the things that uh, are most important to you. And I, honestly, I feel like the pandemic really reminded us of that. So to get back into this hustle and bustle of, you know, we go, go, go without rem remembering the things and reminding us of what is important outside of work is a necessity. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Thank you for that. And then to close things up, I always like to end with a little bit of advice. So, you know, what advice would you leave for our listeners based on your experience and accomplishments to grow their careers in this industry that may have started out in a similar place as you? Odds are whoever is listening to us right now is already an overachiever, a learner, or on the trajectory of trying to figure out what's next. And so if any of those things are true, um, then it's giving yourself grace and the space to learn and taking the time to read, taking the time to listen to a podcast, tape, taking the time to just add to your toolkit only makes you more confident. Uh, it only prepares you for what's next even more. I live by the mantra of better is possible, good is not enough. Um, it's never being complacent. 
it's always pushing myself to be the best version of myself. It's my level of mamba mentality. Mm -hmm. And so finding that within yourself to just keep pushing and moving forward, even on the days that's your roughest, your toughest, the sun comes back out. And that, that keeps me consistent. Um, and so everything that we know, that hard work pays off, everything that you know to be true, that you gotta stay the course, uh, it's true. So believing in you, hands down, it's worth it. Um, you bet on yourself through and through. Thank you so much, Clea, for that remarkable advice um, and those lasting words. And thank you so much for sharing your journey with us, your fire, you know, just everything has just been so remarkable. It's been wonderful to get to know more about you and your career journey through this conversation. And we thank you for being a guest on Women Blazers. And that's a wrap on episode 72. Thank you to Kalia for sharing her journey and insights with all of us today. And as a thank you to Kalia, our friends at the Pro Sports Assembly will provide her with a one-year membership for her to join Pro. Pro Sports Assembly is an industry member-led association helping advance equity in pro sports. Now, I want to thank Pro for their incredible support and believing in the mission of this podcast. And I encourage each of you to visit prosportsassembly.org to learn more about how you can also become a member. Now, to stay connected and to engage with the Women Blazers community, follow us at, on Instagram at Women Blazers. And be sure to check out our next episode dropping Monday, September 25th. Until next time, I hope that you have a wonderful week.